the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were given to the average American, the rich would have their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a really great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once it's in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So let's supercharge your wealth building plan now with Jim McAleese. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Flow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants, Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered to Next Financial Group, Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Civic. And Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Good morning. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know I did. Even though we enjoyed the Thanksgiving gathering a week ago, I'm still recovering. (laughs) The traveling, the excitement, the laughter, the joy, and the food. Oh, my, the food. Even when I have good intentions about dieting. All is forgotten when I sit down at the Thanksgiving feast. The sights, the smells of the thank, uh, the turkey, the stuffing, the mashed potatoes, when enjoying the food and wine with family and friends, and uh, all dieting resolutions disappear. My daughter-in-law or- orchestrated our feast, and how can you refuse a slice of pecan or pumpkin pie? Now I have to figure out why my bathroom scale is obviously broken. (laughs) But more importantly, Thanksgiving is a time to share, a time to love, a time to reflect on the things that matter most in life, the family and friends, young and old, the memories that we cherish forever. And when we're together, we remember the friends and family that are no longer here. You must never take for granted the people you love. We have much to be thank thank God for and be thankful for each day because in one moment, your entire life could change. And talking about remembering the past, we should take the time this week, Thursday, uh, to remember an extremely important date in our history as a nation, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Happened 82 years ago on Sunday, December 7th, 1941. So let's remember the sailors and the Marines who died there on the Arizona, the Utah, the Oklahoma, and the other sunk on that day. Over 2,400 servicemen died in that attack, and another 1,200 were wounded. 
it would be the start of World War II for the United States and a war where over 11 million Americans would serve in uniform. And that's when the United States was smaller than it is today. So sometime Thursday, we need to take the time to remember the past sacrifices of our servicemen and women. Major events like Pearl Harbor and World War II give us some perspective on viewing the major events that are happening in our lives today. Basically, we've had it so good because of the sacrifices that others have made. Remember that in one moment, your entire life could be changed forever. And and basically, let's take some time, too, to think about what's happening in our investment and in our uh, uh, assets. As we close out uh, November this week, uh, there's been a lot of optimism, which has pushed the stock and bond markets to new highs. Uh, Inflation continues to fall, uh, not yet to 2%, but on a steady downward trajectory. Uh, Looking at the latest uh, personal consumption expenditure price index, uh, the the Federal Reserve likes to focus on the personal consumption expenditure uh, price index as its best inflation indicator. and. It is similar to the more common consumer price index. And just to go to show you what uh, they saw in the the latest numbers that came out this week uh, in the personal consumption expenditure for October, uh, the all-in or the top-line number uh, changed. It didn't change at all from uh, September to October. Uh, and it changed, uh, increased 3% over a 12-month period. And if we take out the food and fuel and just look at the core uh, personal consumption expenditure, it increased two-tenths of 1% in uh, from uh, September to October, and it increased uh, 3.5% over the last 12 months. And that compares... Uh, favorably with what we saw the month before in September when the increase in the core, PCE, uh, increased three-tenths of a percent uh, in one month and 3.7% increase over a 12-month period. So the numbers are coming down, and the Federal Reserve focuses on that uh, core personal consumption expenditure, and that's when they always talk about the 2%. And like I said before, it's similar to the consumer price index. For instance, the latest consumer price index numbers for October show that uh, uh, the all-in or the headline CPI number uh, was unchanged uh, from September to October for that one month and for the 12 months. It went up to uh, increase 3.2. So the, they were the same, the PCE and the CPI uh, were the same for the one month period. And the CPI increased 3.2% over the 12 months versus 3% for the PCE. And if we go look at the core, uh, the core. Uh, uh, CPI increased two-tenths of a percent uh, for the one month and four-tenths of a percent for the uh, uh, 12-month period. So we're going to talk about the, uh, the inflation numbers later in the show. Uh, but this extraordinary November has been, the, been propelled by four key factors. One is the uh, economic data. Uh, which shows that the economy is slowing down, but not precipitously, uh, not turning into a recession. Uh, Also, we're seeing declining bond yields. Uh, We're also seeing falling oil prices. And we're also seeing the deployment of cash that has been sitting on the sidelines. So the economic data consistently uh, supported the idea of a soft landing where 
the decreasing inflation and a slowing economy would transition uh, to a normal economy without a recession. Uh, the increase in job formation has been moving basically down to the normal level, and the unemployment has been rising, but it is still uh, historically low. Uh, bond yields have been moving downward, notably uh, treasury yields. For example, the 10-year treasury yield has moved down from 4.85% at the start of November to 4.23% yesterday. And uh, that reduces borrowing costs across households and companies and government entities. The cost and availability of funding improved significantly as traders bet the Federal Reserve Bank uh, had not only finished raising rates, but would also be cutting them uh, next year. Also, the drop in oil prices has translated into reduced energy costs, pressures for companies and households, increasing the ability to spend. Uh, West Texas Intermediate went from $80, $80.86 per barrel at the start of November to $74.38 per barrel yesterday. Also, the deployment of cash from the sidelines is showing up. You're seeing more cash flowing into the mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, as well as into the bond market. In November, uh, the Standard and Poor 500, both the Standard and Poor 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, registered gains of nearly 9% in November. So the Federal Reserve plan to conquer inflation has been to slow the economy. And uh, the idea there was that slowing the economy would reduce the demand and allow the supply chains to pick up speed and to meet the reduced demand. Uh, the primary Federal Reserve tool to slow the economy has been to raise the interest rates. Now, the Federal Reserve instituted that plan in March of 2022, and uh what we're seeing is incoming economic data continues to show a downshift in the economy and basically a reduction in inflation. Uh, now the sticking point is when will the Federal Reserve start to cut the interest rates? If they, if they slow the economy too much, it could cause a recession because there's a, and because there's a time lag between the action of the Federal Reserve and the response of the economy and inflation, no one is absolutely sure, no one knows if these present interest rates are too high. And uh, now what happens if the Federal Reserve keeps them too high for too long? In any case, a significant number of economists and, and traders want the Federal Reserve to start cutting the interest rates, or at least talk about when the cuts will start. So the Federal Reserve will meet uh, uh, December 12th and 13th of this month in a Federal Open Market Committee meeting to argue these points and decide if uh, interest rates uh, should go up or stay constant or go down. Yesterday, give us give some input Give some insight into the thinking of the Federal Reserve. Yesterday, the Federal Reserve Chairman Paul talked at uh, Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, and he shed some light on his thinking. So, uh, Chairman Paul said uh, Friday that, quote, it would be premature to conclude with confidence that we have achieved a sufficiently restrictive stance or to speculate on what uh, on when policy might ease. So he continued, we are prepared to tighten policy further if it becomes appropriate to do so. And he also continued, Powell signaled that federal officials expect to leave 
the interest rates steady when they meet on December 12th and 13th, giving themselves more time to evaluate the economy after uh, raising rates aggressively from near zero in March of 2022 to above uh, 5% in July. A slowing U.S. economy and a fall in inflation have raised expectations among investors that the central bank could begin to cut rates as soon as March. And, you know, and that's basically a guess because there are different guesses for different different people. But the idea, the gist of it is that the, the Federal Reserve plan has worked. The economy has slowed down. The inflation has uh, slowed down. Uh, uh, we're not yet at the uh, 2% target that the Federal Reserve has set up, uh, but uh, we're closing in on it. And uh, and we have that lag in what when the Federal Reserve acts and when the economy responds to it. And no one is quite sure. Of, uh, no one can uh, say what that lag is with any certainty. So, <clears throat> a slowing in the U.S. economy and the fall in the inflation rate has raised expectations among uh, investors that the central bank will begin to cut rates as soon as March. And, and uh, uh, Chairman Powell continued uh, in his his presentation at uh, Spelman College, having come so far so quickly, the Federal Open Market Committee meeting is moving carefully as the risks of under- and over-tightening are becoming more balanced. Uh, According to the Wall Street Journal article, markets took uh, Powell's brush off in stride, uh, boosting odds of a quarter-point cut uh, by the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee uh, in uh, March of next year. And the odds are uh, well above 50%. And fully pricing in a cut in May, so traders see more than a full uh, point of cuts uh, by December of next year. So, conversely, federal officials projected rates of, uh, and uh, so here we have the the uh, uh, investors and traders and economists on one side, and the uh, Federal Reserve on the other side. Uh, conversely, federal officials projected rates of five to five and a quarter percent at the end of next year. So one guy is saying it'll be down around four and a half. The other guy is saying it'll be around five and a quarter, uh, according at the end of next year. That's according to their median forecast that was released in September. That's that shot pattern that they release, uh, Every about every quarter, and just uh, uh, that that uh, uh, projection uh, only shows a quarter of a point uh, decrease the projection from the Federal Reserve, whereas the uh, the bond market that looks like more like a one percent uh, cut in the rate. So, uh, on Friday, Treasury yields in the dollar. Uh, fell and the standard and poor rose and uh, after uh, Chairman Powell's presentation. So Chairman Powell tried to be uh, you know, tried to be uh, restrictive and uh, the uh, investors are thinking, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to start cutting uh, before he says they are. So during the question and answer uh, session following the prepared remarks, Chairman Powell said, quote, we don't need to be in a rush now, having moved quickly and forcefully. Uh, we're getting what we wanted to get. We now have the ability to move carefully, unquote. The federal chair uh, did highlight recent progress, uh, noting that over the six months ending in October, uh, core inflation, which excludes 
pooled in energy ran at an annual rate of 2.5% compared to the overall goal of 2% annual uh, gains. So, uh, you know, in the personal consumption expenditure numbers, we presented the numbers for 12 months. So here he's saying that he's got a number for uh, six months uh, that is down to 2.5%. So uh, Chairman Powell said monetary policy is thought to affect economic conditions with a lag, and the full effect of our tightening has likely not yet been felt. So uh, that's the unknown in, the, in terms of uh, the discussions between, uh, you know, the quality investors and the Federal Reserve. Meanwhile, uh, economic data continues this downshift in activity. Uh, similar results uh, come out from the Federal Reserve's latest Beige Book report. And uh, we also see, we'll talk about the Beige Book later in the show. And we'll also talk about the supply management survey of manufacturing, which shows that manufacturing has uh, been in a contracting mode for probably the last several months, I think as much as six months, maybe more. Uh, We'll see what the numbers are. Uh, The Beige Book, that's prepared by the Federal Reserve Bank, and that's that they reported that out on Wednesday. And that's published about two weeks prior to the Federal Open Market Committee meeting uh, that'll happen on uh, December 12th and 13th. And what that does is provide the members of the committee with a narrative from the uh, 12 Federal Reserve uh, bank presidents and where they talk about what's happening in their particular uh, region. So. Uh, there are not too many numbers in that report, but it's more of a narrative in terms of their discussions with uh, the movers and shakers in, in their particular uh, area. So I'll give you an idea. Uh, uh, according to the uh, Beige Book, upward price pressures largely uh, moderated across districts though prices remain elevated. Businesses that consumers are facing higher food prices on some items, as well as higher utilities and insurance. For businesses, pricing power varies, with service providers finding it easier to pass through increases than manufacturers. Another one is with regard to the labor. Uh, uh, federal policy makers say that the cooling in the labor market, even as disinflation progresses, the most recent uh, Beige Book backs up that forecast that said that uh, demand for labor continues to ease as most districts report flat to modest increases in overall employment and labor supply continues to improve with open jobs and fewer workers seem to be switching jobs. So uh, they tell you what regions are uh, in uh, expanding, what, what regions are contracting, and they basically go through uh, uh, several parameters in terms of being able to describe these uh, different regions. And we'll go, like I say, we'll go through that later. There was a this was a mixed week for global equities in the United States. This was the fifth consecutive week that the three major stock indices, the Dow Jones, Industrial Average, the Standard & Poor 500, and the NASDAQ Composite closed up for the week. Uh, while in the UK, the FTSE 100 was up for the week, and the same was also true in the European Union with Germany's uh, DAX up for the week, along with the stock Europe 600. That was also up for the week. But in Asia, Japan's Nikkei 225 was down for the week, and along with uh, 
China's Shanghai Composite and Hong Kong's Hang Sin, they were both down for the week. So on Friday, the the three major U.S. stock indices uh, closed the week at the Dow Jones Industrial closed at 36,245.50, and it was up 2.42% for the week. Uh, the Standard and Poor 500 closed at 4,594.63, and it was up 0.77% for the week. And the NASDAQ uh, Composite closed at 14,305.03, and that was up uh, 0.38% for the week. So all in all, the in the big picture, uh, the economy is slowing down. Inflation is uh, uh, also coming down, uh, according to according to their plan in terms of slowing the economy down. But it's not it's not falling off a cliff or anything like that. It's just uh, uh, coming down a percent or two at a time, and. Uh, uh, once they get inflation down to the point where uh, it's close enough to the two percent, then everybody's ha- the Federal Reserve is happy with it. Then we'll start to see uh, uh, the interest rates uh, come down, and before that, there'll be a discussion about when. And at that time, the markets, both the bond, the bond market should. Uh, Jump at that point because strictly because the uh, there's a direct connection between lowering those rates and uh, uh, the increase in the bond prices. The stocks uh, market, on the other hand, there's less of a connection there. But if you take a look at most of the companies, they they have a lot of uh, uh, borrowed money inside of them and. Uh, if you start to increase or decrease the interest rates, then you start to decrease their cost of business, and that should show up in the uh, in the profits. So it's one of those things where the first quarter of next year, there'll be a lot of discussion about uh, the rates, and uh, that'll have an impact on both the stocks and the bond markets. So much for the, the big picture. Uh, the the most important picture that we have is really our our financial plan. In other words, uh, the plan where uh, it's not anywhere near as volatile, shouldn't be anywhere near as volatile as the uh, uh, the big economic plan, the big picture. But certainly, uh, it reflects what our goals are and the steps that we're taking uh, in order to. Uh, have enough money and enough assets to make our goals happen. Uh, and uh, that requires uh, planning from everywhere from the start of the, when the assets come in the door, be it in the paychecks or inheritances or whatever. Uh, the idea to be is that uh, you have your goals you have a schedule, rough schedule for your goals. You have a rough idea of uh, what is necessary in terms of dollars to meet those goals. And you have a process by which to uh, save the money that comes in the door, uh, distribute it to your cost of living and uh, the house and the raising the kids. And then there's money left over for uh, if you... <laughs> If you're disciplined about it, there's money left over for uh, investing, uh, so much for retirement, so much for uh, a house, uh, down payment on a house, so much for uh, the monthly uh, mortgage, uh, so much for the kids' braces and and uh, uh, college for the kids and stuff like that, some sort of schooling for the kids. So it's all that laying out that particular plan and uh, on top of it, 
that uh, will allow you to meet your goals and will provide a roadmap for you to just stay stay on this road. Uh, you've got certain boundaries that you can deviate uh, by a certain amount, but you can't go off into the high grass. Uh, so uh, it gives you something that uh, allows you to make decisions in terms of what can you do in terms of your goals. If you switch your goals and say, hey, uh, I, we want to move or we want a bigger house or we want a boat or uh, uh, different schools for the kids, all those things require money. And, and what do you want to give up uh, that's on your plan right now to get uh, these new ideas, these new things that, the new glittery things that uh, caught your attention. So uh, it's, a, it's a roadmap and a plan. You put it together and you uh, modify it and you work with it. And uh, um, it's, a, it's a secret to success. So uh, this is Jim McAleese, and you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. That's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. So uh, give us a call and uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you who have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, however, Jim can't answer all your questions because of time restraints and the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstones Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstones Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, finding your next home, planning for retirement, finding the right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow with Jim McAleese. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call. Our toll-free number is 1-888-281-1110. You know, one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, we talked about at the start of the show was the uh, personal consumption expenditure, and uh, that that basically comes out of, uh, uh, you know, how consumers are, increasing their spending. So in October, consumers increased their spending or personal consumption expenditure by basically two-tenths of a percent from September. And even as their personal income also increased two-tenths of a percent from uh, September. So the month before, uh, consumer spending increased seven-tenths of one percent in September from August, even as the personal income increased only four-tenths of a percent uh, from August. So where did the money go? Uh, In October, the consumer spending increased uh, $41.2 billion uh, from September, reflecting an increase of $53.1 billion spending for services and a decrease of $11.9 $11.9 billion spending on goods. Within services, the largest uh, contributors to the increase were health care, and that was led by hospital and nursing home care, also housing and utilities. And uh, uh, in the uh, other services, 
there is international spend, uh, international travel, which has increased. So uh, while consumer spending for goods in October saw, saw decreases, and the decreases were primarily at uh, motor vehicles and parts and gasoline and uh, energy goods. So the, 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 the data for the last several months has indicated that the consumers have shifted their spending back into services, which includes dining out, travel, uh, rent, uh, after a big increase in goods purchases early in the pandemic. That was when you you couldn't go out and do too much, so people were spending their money on Amazon and Walmart and, and uh, ordering goods. Now they're out and about in uh, sports events and uh, travel and vacations and uh, uh, things of this nature, things that they couldn't do. And that's a little bit uh, of an issue for the Federal Reserve because they're trying to slow the economy down. And the, uh, the effect has been very good so far in manufacturing in the sense that it's slowed down. but not precipitously, whereas uh, the service industries have been harder to slow down. Uh, but it, it's it's strictly a matter of this too will pass. You know, when the people get it out of their system that, um, you know, we, we couldn't do it before. Now we're doing it sooner or later. Somebody's going to say, have you seen the bills? You know, we're spending like uh, drunken sailors here. So. Uh, they'll pull in it's something sometime in the near future. Uh, that increase in demand is being met with higher prices as service providers are wage are increasing wages and facing uh, rising costs uh, for supplies. So if I take a look back and say over the last three months, uh, what's uh, what have, what's been the change in uh, personal income. So if I take a look at uh, October, uh, personal income increased two-tenths of a percent uh, or $57.1 billion. That was the increase. In September, it was 4% increase and $77.8 billion. And in uh, August, it was a five-tenths five of a percent increase and that was amounted to $94 billion. So then I take a look at, okay, what's the personal consumption expenditure? How much am I spending? Well, in October, uh, you're spending uh, $41.2 billion, and that's a two-tenths of a percent increase, whereas in September, I spent $138.7 billion, and uh, that was a seven-tenths of 1% increase. And in August, I spent uh, $79.8 billion for an increase of four-tenths of 1%. So in the last three months, uh, two of the months, my uh, personal income increased. That was August and October. And uh, my uh, personal consumption expenditure, my spending, also increased, but uh, less than the personal income increase. Whereas in September, uh, September showed uh, I, I increased my personal income by $77.8 billion, but I increased my spending by $138.7 billion. So uh, they don't all People can spend more than they're making, and basically it comes out of either savings or it comes out of uh, uh, the um, either the savings or the borrowing. You have to uh, increase the uh, uh, charge cards. So what we're seeing in, in terms of uh, the inflation uh the latest report provides the latest information information in terms of personal consumption expenditure. And uh, uh, like I say, the, the 
the there's two methods of uh, two methods of tracking inflation. One is the CPI number, Consumer Price Index, which was put out by the Department of Labor, and the other one is the Personal Consumption Expenditure uh, Price Index, and that's put out by the Department of Commerce, and they're they're reasonably close. Uh, if you take a look at the numbers for October, uh, uh, let's take a look at the uh, top line number, which includes the uh, food and fuel. Okay, for the top line number for the personal consumption expenditure, including food and fuel, says that uh, 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 the index increased, uh, did not increase at all going from September to October, it was flat or steady. Yet, uh, if we take a look at it over the last 12 months, it has increased 3%. Then if we go and take a look at the uh, consumer price index uh, numbers for the same time period, we see that the CPI uh, didn't increase any uh, from September to October, that one month period, but over a 12-month period, it went up uh, 3.2%. So 3% versus 3.2%. Now, if we go down to the core PCE and the core uh, CPI numbers, then we see uh, a, a little bit larger difference uh, where we neglect the food and fuel so that the PCE for October, core PCE, Increased two tenths of a percent from September to October, and increased three point five percent over the last uh, uh, twelve months. And the CPI numbers, consumer price index numbers, that increased the same amount in uh, increased to two tenths of a percent from September to October, uh, but it increased uh, four tenths of one. Uh, it increased four percent. From uh, uh, over the last over the twelve months ending in October, so it's uh, uh, they're kind of mirror images of each other. But the Federal Reserve prefers the PCE price index. Uh, they look at the, the the same products, but they just add different emphasis to different parts of them, uh, and just you know. If you take a look at what inflation has done uh, over the last, uh, let's say when, um, let's let's go back to March of 2021. March of, of 2021 was the first uh, flag that went up about inflation. Inflation uh, hit three uh, percent in March of 2021. It hit 5% by Labor Day of 2021. It hit 7% by Christmas of 2021. So uh, that's when the wake-up call uh, was made to the Federal Reserve all through 2021, or through the first part of 2021. The Federal Reserve position was that it's... uh, uh, transitory, it'll go away. Well, it didn't go away. It got up to seven percent by Christmas, and then uh, they laid out their plan. And the plan said, "Okay, we're going to jump the uh, interest rates to slow the economy down." And that's what they that's what they did in 2022, and uh, it was effective in basically slowing slowing the economy down and. Uh, Basically, if you take a look and say, "Okay, I went up uh, the that price of let's say that price of goods and services uh, that we talk about in both of those indices." Uh, let's say the uh, let's take a look at the uh, uh, the consumer price index. I've got approximately, I think I'm just going by memory right now. I got about 13% of the money that I spend. I spend it on food, and they go down, and they 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 
they they got it down to how many uh, what percentage of my money am I spending on meat and grains and fruit and vegetables, and then I think I've spent about eight percent of my money on energy, and then they got it down in terms of how much gasoline, how much uh, uh, diesel oil I'm buying, how much electricity, how much uh, uh, natural gas. And then they go down into shelter. That's one of the biggest things. That's 35%. And uh, uh, they, they present data that shows how much it's gone up in one month, the last month, and how much it's gone up in the last uh, 12 months. So uh, if I take a look and I say that basket of goods and services that I started with in January of 2021, that basket of goods and services increased 7% uh, by the end of 2021. It also increased approximately 7%, maybe 8%, but in 2022, and this year, it's increased approximately uh, 3.5%. So if I do the usual compounding interest calculation, uh, basically that uh, package of goods and services has gone up 19 to 20% over the last uh, two and a half years from January of, of uh uh, 2021 to, to to today, so uh, it's gone. So prices have gone up approximately 20 percent for the food and the gas and the shelter and everything else. And basically, you know, that's that's what people are complaining about in terms of saying, well, when are the prices going to decrease? And Basically, the prices aren't going to decrease. Maybe they go up and down for gasoline, but that's about it. Everything else just goes up like a ratchet and stays up. So, uh, you know, the complaint is that the prices have gone up 20% in the last uh, two and a half years, and my wages have gone up about uh, maybe 4% a year. They've gone up 8 or 9%. So. Okay, that's why we're hurting. So, you know, you knew you were hurting, but uh, it shows up in those numbers. Another place we we can talk about is the uh, what's happening in the manufacturing economy. And uh, if we take a look at the uh, ISM, the Institute of Supply Management, uh, every month they go through a survey and uh, they talk to the executives in the different uh, manufacturing sector and they ask about uh, how's, how does this month compare to last month in terms of new orders, in terms of production, in terms of shipments, in terms of employment, well, how does your backlog, what's happening there? And basically, the Institute of Supply Management grinds all this stuff together, and they come up with an index number. And if the index number is 50, then it's neutral, and anything above 50 is considered to be an expansion, and anything less than 50 is considered to be a contraction. So uh, for the last several months, um, in fact, uh, basically since... uh, November of last year, uh, the manufacturing index number from the Institute of Supply Management has been below 50. So we've been in the, the manufacturing sector has been in contraction for the last nine months, the last year, basically. In other words, like in November, that number came out to be 46.7. October 46.7, September 49, uh, August 47.6, and July 46.4. So uh, what you're seeing is that the the, uh, uh, last 13 months, we've seen contractions, and uh, uh, 
uh, all of the five sub-indices that directly factor into the uh, manufacturing index are in contraction territory. Uh, the new orders index that was down. Uh, let me give you an idea of uh, new orders. It's contracting slower than before. Production is contra- is contracting. Uh, last month, the month before, it had grown. Employment is contracting faster uh, than before. Uh, suppliers' deliveries are going. Uh, the supplier deliveries are increasing. Uh, that's because uh, you know the economy is slowing down, and uh, suppliers want to make a profit, so they've got to uh, turn to and, and make sure the customer is getting the product. Uh, prices uh, are decreasing, but at a slower pace. And backlog of orders. Here's the here's a bad one. Contracting backlog of uh, products are, are contracting at a faster rate, and that's a matter of of uh, the orders. Uh, new orders are going down, so they're utilizing the empl- the workers to generate the products and the backlog, and the backlog is is basically disappearing. So. Uh, all in all, it's a, uh, uh, a manufacturing is slowing down. And there's another organization, in addition to the Institute of Supply Management, uh, it the, uh, uh, shows that the manufacturing sector is not growing, but rather contracting. Uh, it's totally separate survey. It's called the uh, Standard of Poor and Global. Uh, and it's for the U.S. manufacturing sector, and and they've reached a similar conclusion. So I'll give you some parts of their conclusion uh, that uh, U.S. manufacturing reported yet another tough month in November. Output barely rose as input inflows of new work slowed, uh, showed a renewed decline, hinting at little, if any, contribution to the fourth quarter GDP from the goods-producing sector. Orders have, in fact, visited in only three of the past 18 months, uh, that reflecting a prolonged period of subdued post-pandemic demand, in turn linked to consumers switching their spending to services such as travel and recreation. And business uh, Customers reducing excess inventory, which has been the which had been accumulating during the supply concerns of the pandemic. Uh, encouragingly, there is some sign of the inventory cycle starting to turn, with producers of intermediate goods, uh, those goods supplied to other firms, now reporting. Uh, modest order book growth. So the U.S. producers nevertheless continue to focus on cost cutting by trimming headcount and have now taken the knife to payroll numbers for two consecutive months. Uh, Barring the early months of the pandemic, the survey has not seen such a back-to-back monthly fall in uh, uh, <laughs> excuse me. All in factory employment since uh, since two thousand and nine. So, uh, one of the things that uh, that you're seeing manufacturing is slowing down. Uh, you're also seeing existing home sales uh, slowing down, uh, according to the National Association of Realtors. Existing home sales in October, uh, including single-family homes, townhouses, condos, fell 4.1% from September to October. And the year-over-year sales tumbled 14.6%. So what you've got there is, according to the National Association of Realtors, 
chief economist Lord Jung, prospective home buyers experienced another difficult month due to a persistent lack of housing inventory and the highest mortgage rates in the generation. Multiple offers, however, are still occurring, especially on starter and mid-priced homes, even as price concessions are happening in the upper end of the market. Uh, A persistent problem has been the limited number of homes for sale. Everybody has a, basically most people have a mortgage for 3% and they're very, they're not inclined to sell their homes and move into a, another house with a mortgage of uh, maybe seven and a half, maybe uh, around seven and a half percent. So uh, that's one reason you don't have the homes for sale. This is Jim McAleese. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. with the national problems of today, let's remember that we, citizens of the United States, have successfully weathered a lot worse. One of those events was basically the Second World War, which for the U.S. began on December 7, 1941. It began with the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. When we remember that day, let's think about what happened on that day of infamy. Here's a poem and a prayer written by an unknown sailor 60 years ago. The poem goes like this. The USS Arizona one day stood proud and tall in December 7, 1941, the morning she would fall. The Utah and the Oklahoma would suffer similar fates, battleships that lost their lives along with their shipmates. And a quiet Sunday morning, no fear was in the air, soon skies filled with foreign planes bringing death and despair. A lazy Sunday morning, many still in bed, 1177 sailors and marines died on the USS Arizona alone. Others like the USS Nevada were repaired to live again, answering the nation's call to respond to Pearl's bloody stain. Four long years of devastation, both nations at war, Japan would feel the final blast from knocking at our door. Hopefully we'll never forget the attack that came to be when sailors and Marines alike fell silent to the sea. So let's say a prayer and a special thanks to those who guard the sea, who watch the skies and keep us safe. And until we meet again, may God protect you and keep you safe. You've been listening to Get Rich Slow with Jim McAleese of Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. Located at 47149 Bursley Road, Wellington, Ohio, 44090 where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc. The materials Jim shares is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of James McAleese and Cornerstone's Consultants, Inc., and not those of Next Financial Group, Inc. Next Financial Group does not provide tax advice. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of the common stocks of 500 leading companies and leading industries of the U.S. economy. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price weighted index of 30 actively traded blue chip stocks. To make an appointment with Jim regarding your own finances, call 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. 
Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.